Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live. Hey, how are you? Good morning and thanks for coming in. Monday, Monday, Monday. I hope you had a, uh, I hope you had a great weekend. I hope, you, uh, I hope it was restive and restorative. Mine, mine was fantastic. It was awesome. Great Easter weekend. Did you have a good meal? Did you have some time with the family? Did you get a chance to reflect on all the blessings you have? I hope so. I hope I hope I hope that was part of it. Um it is uh it is Monday and I got to tell you there is some uh, crazy stuff going on uh out there. We're going to talk about some of it and uh we're going to see exactly what his uh uh, we're going to see exactly what's out there on the uh, on the agenda here for today. Uh, in part, we're going to be talking a little bit about some national issues today, uh, including um, uh, some discussions about Senate Bill 292, which is going through Congress, and uh, some of the reasons why this could be a real problem, not only for small business owners and for uh, individuals, but also... Uh, how it could also be a problem for national security. And uh, we're going to talk about that with Zach Lilly, who is with netchoice.org. We'll have a discussion with him about this and what what it means for Alaskans and why we need to be thinking about it. Uh, We're also going to dive into some of the stories that are going on around the state and uh, uh, what's uh, what's happening there. Some of the uh, some of the hot uh, items and stories, including, I guess, a little bit of a discussion about this recall in Palmer. Have you been watching this? The meltdown and the kind of the stuff that's been going on. We mentioned it uh, briefly uh, last uh, oh two weeks ago, uh, two three weeks ago. It is uh, it's brutal. It's it's brutal, um, and uh, we're going to have some discussions on that. Uh, so anyway, Zach Lilly in hour one and hour two will dive deeper down into the uh, discussions on what's going on in the uh, what's going on in the uh, state of Alaska, and uh, we'll have uh, we'll have some talk about that uh, as well. Okay, I guess that's I guess that's it. We'll also have some, maybe some phone calls and some other things going on into hour two that um, we can have some discussions on as uh as well so that's uh that's it for today you re- you're ready to you're ready to dive into it you're ready to be part of it well you know um everything that we do these days is touched by a computer um it seems like uh every time we turn around something is now uh you know uh been converted to the electronic world we've got the whole metaverse coming on we've got all these other things happening 
And that has led to something new, which is, of course, uh, bad people wanting to do bad things. Uh, Cyber attacks. We've heard about them. Uh, Probably somebody in Alaska, probably almost every Alaskan has faced their data being breached at one time or another in the last five years. And we're seeing more and more of that as we move forward. Uh, and in fact, it's uh, it's getting it's getting worse rather than uh, getting better. Uh, and the state, uh, because you know, government has a tendency to move under its own momentum, and has a tendency not to be as adaptive and agile as private industry, is facing more of this than uh, than you know than we would probably like to see, and has not been as successful as it should have been in protecting our data. I mean, now that we are. You know, we've all got our data tied up into state systems and government computers. Uh, It makes it even more important that we are protecting that. We saw this here just uh, the other day on the 22nd of March. The Department of Revenue and the commissioner were called into a special meeting to discuss a problem that the Permanent Fund Division was under attack, the Permanent Fund Dividend Division. More than 800,000 attempts were made to get into the division systems on that day, which were in charge, of course, of paying the annual dividends to Alaska. It ended up shutting down the computers uh, to prevent those attacks, and the department's firewalls uh, all held up, and no Alaskan's data was accessed, according to Anna McKinnon, who's the director of the division. But that's only the latest attempt to access user data in systems operated by the state of Alaska. Last year, both the Department of Health and Social Services and the state court systems were attacked online. The court systems computers were only disabled for 11 days, but the DHSS attack, 11 months after that attack, some of the department's online resources are still offline. Uh, And there was a significant amount of information that was breached by that. There was another breach Uh, on the facility that holds the voter information rolls as well. Um, That's one of the things that we've talked about with State Senator Mike Schauer several times is the data breach that occurred there and what that could mean to voter integrity moving forward. And that is a huge, huge problem. Uh, And it's something that we should be putting in for, it's something we should be, you know, paying attention to and, and putting money against. Of all the programs that we talked about, you know, over the last few years on this program, um, there's very few things that I am very much uh, pro-spending on. One of them is infrastructure, obviously. The other one is this. This cybersecurity should be a top priority. I mean, we have entrusted the government with our personal information. Sometimes, Really, we didn't really have much of a choice. If we wanted to participate in today's society, if we wanted to do the things that we wanted to do, we needed to be able to give that information to the state. But we trust that the state will protect that information. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's something that's very worrying to me. In the governor's proposal uh, for the his latest proposed budget, Um, He asked for a lot of money to go towards additional funding for cybersecurity, including $5.4 million more for the Office of Information Technology, $1.9 million for an IT security assessment at the DHSS, which again has had 11 months of problems following their cyber attack, 
funding to upgrade the court's system's security software, including the security around its digital evidence system, which <laughs> seems like it's a pre- that's a pretty important part of what we're dealing with when you're talking about the court system, right? Having that evidentiary stuff being protected. That seems like that's pretty important. New security positions at the Division of Elections and at the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation and the ability to accept and distribute $9 million in federally funded cybersecurity grants to local governments. Um, the, uh, the budget also, according to the ADN, has got some uh, cautionary notes about the cost of not funding these items. There was a separate request for $2.4 million to address backlogs at DHSS caused by last year's cyber attack. Now, the House put all this money into the budgets and said, uh, you know, that they were they understood and they agreed with that. Uh, there was a closed-door meeting in February where the subcommittee uh, heard details about the cybersecurity threats, and uh, Adam Wool was quoted as saying that uh, this was, uh, these, were, these were real threats. These weren't hypothetical. Um, and uh, they moved it on. The, the House uh, moved that uh, budget through, and it's now in the hands of the Senate Finance Committee, where Bert Stedman is quoted as saying that he doesn't anticipate any disagreement over the cybersecurity funding. Um, but it's something that we need to think about. Again, we're placing our entire our entire lives uh, and all of our information and everything else at the hands of people who want to do bad things. And there are whole... Uh, there are whole cadres of people in various countries, whether it's Cyprus or Romania or all these other places, um, where they have dedicated their whole lives to capturing that data, selling it off on the black market, and making their living by basically, uh, you know, hijacking your life. And uh, so it's uh, definitely not a uh, definitely not a good time uh, for for people who have had their information stolen. So. I guess, surprisingly, on a Monday, this is the one thing that I definitely agree that the state should be uh, paying attention to and should be putting money into. So uh, kind of a kind of a, a good idea as far as that goes. Um, all right. We are uh, – sorry, here I got uh, my guess is – my guess is calling in early on the wrong number. So I'm going to uh, uh, take care of that here in just a second. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll get into that here. I'm going to send him a text message as well, just to make sure that, uh, just to make sure that he's got the right number here. Uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll get that going on. All right. Um, so, uh, all right. That was that story. What was the other story that I wanted to talk about? Oh, this, (laughs) I, I love this. I love this headline. This is the headline in Anchorage. So, for those of you who don't know, the Anchorage, um, the uh, Anchorage uh, um, municipal election just happened here in April, and they're still, still counting out all the ballots and trying to figure out where everything is. But the one thing that is pretty clear right now, unless there's some real statistical aberration, is that the one hundred and eleven million dollar bond package for the school district failed. And uh, not only that, the $54 million bond package for the, uh, for, for the municipality itself also failed. But here's the, uh, here's the headline. The Anchorage school bond failed. What happened? And I, I mean, I could tell you what happened. I could tell you what happened. 
You ask for $111 million on the tail end of a pandemic and, uh, and you know, on, on top of record inflation and everything else. And people are like, what? And, and you put it all into one package. You didn't separate it out. You didn't make it into, you know, you didn't take it into bite-sized chunks where maybe people could pick and choose what they wanted to support. Uh, there's a big headline, though, in this article. Uh, that I really wanted to uh, get down into, and that is the fact that according to the school district's estimate, which is assessed annually with the national firm, the school district in Anchorage alone, this isn't this isn't the borough, these are the municipality, this is the district alone estimates that it currently has a deferred maintenance backlog amounting to eight hundred and twenty four million dollars. Just let that sink in for a minute. 824 million dollars of deferred maintenance backlog. I mean, it's within spitting distance of a billion dollars in deferred backlog maintenance. Now, that I I just don't even know I don't even know where to go from that. The average age of the facilities in the district is 36 years old, with about a third of them, according to the ADN, older than 50 years. Infrastructures like roof boilers and ventilation systems are being used past their life expectancy, and they receive more wear and tear than comparable comparable facilities in the lower 48 because of Alaskan winters. And, I mean, I could unpack an entire show based just on that paragraph alone. Critical infrastructures like roofs, boilers, and ventilation systems are being used past their life expectancy. So you knew exactly what their life expectancy was, right? And you could have been changing this and and addressing this and taking care of this as you went forward, but instead you deferred that maintenance to spend the money on other things. Eight, well over three quarters of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance for the school district alone. I mean, your head must just be spinning at this point. Oh, absolutely crazy. Uh, anyway, so we're going to get into that story later on. I'm sure we'll we'll dive into that. But we are up against the break. i got to get my caller. i got to get my uh, guest back on hold. And uh, so we're going to deal with that here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll continue with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Zach Lilly from NetChoice is going to come up with us and talk about Senate Bill 2992. And what does it entail for us? That's up next on your home for Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, we're in the break right now, but I need to uh, call the guest and apparently 
he's got the wrong number. So let me call him and get him squared away here. Hold on a second. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Be right back. So let's get uh, let's get squared away here. $824 million. Guess we need to take some uh, more PFD money and send it to education spending because they use everything that they've already get so well. Like this is what Michael's saying in the chat room. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You've got a deferred maintenance backlog of over three quarters of a billion dollars. And you know what that tells me? It tells me somebody ain't been prioritizing the right stuff. You wonder why people defeated a bond of $111 million? And that's a drop in the bucket for what we're talking about here. This is insane. Absolutely insane. But, I mean, again, the question, why did it fail? What happened? (laughs) Maybe because people are coming out of, like I said, a recession, followed by the whole COVID lockdown pandemic economic crunch. And then you throw out a then you throw out a single bond initiative of 111 million dollars. Don't even break it up into various pieces where people can pick and choose what they want. Yeah, I mean, I can pretty much tell you why. That's uh, that's what's going on right there. It's it's pretty crazy stuff. Um, all right, but we're going to come back to that story here after the top of the hour because we are about to dive into it uh, in a discussion. On uh, Senate Bill 2992, which most of us have probably never heard of, and uh, what it does, and this is, again, more governmental intervention in the free market where they're trying to decide and pick winners and losers, and they're copying part of this stuff off what's been done in the European Union. And I don't know if you've been following any of that as all, but oof, man, we we definitely don't need any of that. Joining us right now on the telephone... Uh, is uh, Zach Lilly, who is the Deputy Director of State and Federal Affairs for Net Choice. It's an organization that works with members and other stakeholders to better understand the policy implications of legislation concerning antitrust, content moderation, and privacy. Uh, and he uh, is going to join us right now here before we come back to the radio. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. You ready to dive into this? We're about uh, we're about sixty seconds from rejoining the radio here. It's just you and me, and I don't know fifty of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. I am very ready. Okay, and I will say, saying that you know, your listeners may not have heard of these bills. I would say that probably means they're leading happy, healthy lives, and I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I would not disagree with that, my friend. I would not disagree with that at all because at some point, aren't you just like, I just want to throw my hands in the air and go like, no, I, I just, I don't understand. Why are we? Why am I even worrying about this? We in fact have a discussion. We have a talking point around here 
that basically says, uh, you know, this that that if if that's what we're focusing on, things that we really can't control, then we're probably doing it wrong. Um, so, I absolutely agree with that. Yep. All right. Well, hold the line, my friend. We'll be right back to you. Uh, don't go anywhere, and we will uh, we'll rejoin you here in just a second. We're about uh, we're about thirty uh, we're about thirty seconds out here from rejoining the radio, and so we will do that here in just a hot second. Please like and share this show, like and share this video, and uh, we will uh, we'll get back into it here in just a minute. If you do that, we'll try and get more Alaskans involved in the conversation, and uh, that's what we like to do here. So uh, let's uh, let's get things going on. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming in. We are ready to uh, dive into this here. It's, uh, I was just saying, this is probably not something that most Alaskans are aware of. Probably not a lot of uh, Americans in general. And we're talking about some new, uh, we're talking about some new uh, legislation that's going through uh, the Congress right now. Uh, And it's Senate Bill 2992. And this bill specifically is going to be dealing with some issues related to uh, uh, to uh, uh, non uh, what would we say non competition non uh, uh, you know antitrust content moderation and the problem with it is is that we are taking a page out of the book of the European Union which I don't know if you kind of watch what they do over there but it's a it's kind of spooky to see some of the things and some of the I guess anti-free speech things that uh, that we see them taking uh, taking on right now. Uh, joining us this morning on the program to discuss it is uh, Zach Lilly. Now Zach is the deputy director of state and federal affairs for NetChoice.org, which is an organization that uh, tries to work through stakeholders and members to better understand the policy uh, implications of legislation concerning antitrust. Um, and content moderation and more. He joins us this morning to uh, to talk about this and to give us, I uh, guess, the the really the the straight dope on what's going on with uh, Senate Bill two nine nine two and what it could mean for us. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on board. Now, again, I had not heard anything about this until uh, my friend Frank sent me the information and said. This might be something that you want to talk about, and since I am now uh, spending a lot more time on my uh, on my you know on the internet now with my show and everything else, um, this does concern me. I mean, I guess as I sit out, I'm still waiting on my. This is my ninth or tenth day of my ban on YouTube for having a guest on that dared to mention something about the 2020 elections. Um, I guess I'm a little bit concerned about uh, antitrust and uh, and everything else. So let's talk a little bit about S2992 and and give us some details here on what it is and why we should be worried about it if we're small business owners and why it's bad for us, uh, you know, both for that and for national security. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you rightly say that most Americans probably haven't heard about this bill. Um, I think part of that is because antitrust has historically been a fairly esoteric topic that mostly ivory tower folks and a handful of people in D.C. trouble themselves with. Most people back home um, don't need to burden themselves with something that usually is quite boring. Um, But now we have progressives in the Congress who are trying to weaponize um, our antitrust laws to attack um, the free market, America's biggest innovators, uh, and then the services that you and I, as you say, uh, depend on every day. So that's sort of why um, I think S2992 is something that, that folks need to hear a little bit more about. Um, yeah, so I think at its core, um, Amy Klobuchar, who is the, the, the sponsor of this bill, has um, sort of suggested that this is a, an antitrust bill. What it really sort of boils down to is an anti-choice bill, right? This idea that consumers don't know what's best for them and they need the federal government. They need big government to come in and tell them all of the problems that they didn't know they had in their lives and now the new solutions that they've come up with. Um, so this bill would basically outlaw particular types of business models or at least force them into the courts. Uh, things like Amazon Prime, Google Maps, services that small and medium-sized businesses depend on every day to reach customer bases uh, across the country um, and harder to reach places like Alaska, you know, and then to tap into international markets too, right? So in an, in an attempt to sort of capitalize on the political benefits of going after quote-unquote big tech, Amy Klobuchar, folks like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, Lena Khan, um, who's chair over at the FTC, uh, have seen this as sort of their chance to insert a lot of progressive reforms into a free market system and fundamentally change it. Right, which, of course, is one of the big problems. Every time government gets involved in the free market, I mean, they, you know, when they're essentially picking winners and losers, it basically dilutes that and 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 hampers and harms the free market. I mean, some of the examples that you used, you just mentioned, you know, the the Google or the Amazon Prime, for example. One of the one of the caveats in that is because Amazon would not be able to offer their two day shipping on anything anymore since it doesn't offer it for everything. Uh, it's it's some kind of equity thing where they're trying to say, well, you know, we've got. And then in the Apple Play Store or the Apple uh, the Apple App Store. They wouldn't be able to then decline to carry these low quality apps because that would count as discrimination against certain app developers. Even if the app was bad or didn't work or was broken or whatever, they couldn't just say, no, nah, that's not for us, which is a big selling point on the whole Apple. I'm not an Apple fan, but the Apple infrastructure is that they're supposed to have all these apps that absolutely work all the time. That's one of their high selling points. And now they're saying, no, 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 that would be discriminatory if you said you couldn't carry, a, that you weren't going to carry an app. I mean, that's that's just crazy. I mean, that 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 makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, um, woe to the person who tries to look for sense in most progressive policies. I think, I think we're in agreement on that. But, I, um, you know, I go back to sort of why this bill isn't just bad on its policy merits, but why it's bad for conservatives and free-thinking people, generally speaking, is that over the past 50 years, one of the greatest conservative victories 
um, in the courts was the establishment of what's called the consumer welfare standard, right? mm-hmm. applied in antitrust, and then in free market thinking, generally speaking. It's this idea that when we decide whether or not a company is a monopoly or acting as a monopoly, we have to look at the effects on regular people, right? Do my prices go up? Do the services that I use get worse, et cetera? Right, um, right. We don't look at other types of effects. But this bill changes the entire game and makes sure that the federal government has its hand on the scale, is making sure that instead of protecting consumers, uh, competitors are protected. But the reality is that the free market doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. You know, sometimes there's a symbiotic relationship, but every once in a while, certain companies perform worse, certain companies perform better, and the folks that are doing a better job giving people what they need and what they want um, deserve um, deserve to perform. Right. So that this bill sort of fundamentally shifts um, those principles. Right. And so the impetus here is to, I mean, I guess, I don't want to necessarily put word in, words in your mouth, but this essentially is them trying to say basically that they want to even the playing field. So by kneecapping some of the bigger tech companies, Amazon or Apple or Google or whoever, uh, which again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily always happy with all the decisions that these companies make as private companies, but they are private companies. Um, but by kneecapping them and doing this, they're essentially saying they're going to, uh, you know, make everyone equally miserable, as they used to say about uh, Soviet communism, is that basically everybody was equal, equal in their own misery kind of thing, except for the, you know, apparatchiks and, and all that. But is that kind of the, the whole idea here is, is that they're just going to make everything equally bad? Yeah, I mean, so uh, another thing to stress about the bill is that while it's being modeled as an anti-big tech bill, right, you've had Facebook over the past few months struggle to maintain its market cap, um, and so it's declined fairly significantly. Now, who knows what the future holds for the company? It could go back up. It could continue to go down, right? But the, the bill establishes particular market caps as to who could potentially be covered, right? And Facebook is a prime target for Amy Klobuchar and some of the other progressives, um, in Congress, right? So it's not wild to consider that if that number continues to go down, that the bill is simply amended to capture it. Why that's important is because right now we're talking about, right, these unpopular big guys. But the reality is, is that the bill isn't written in a way that permanently ties the hands of the FTC and the Department of Justice to only focus on the largest tech companies. Right. We've already seen changes to the legislative language that ropes in privately held companies. Right. Um, and that cap is much lower. So potentially capturing 10 to 15 of the U.S.'s larger privately held companies, none of which we would refer to as big tech. Right. Right. So I think that's something to really keep an eye out for is that they're using that sort of animus that lots of people feel mostly usually on the issue of uh, on content moderation to shoehorn in a pretty transformative piece of economic legislation. Well, and again, as much as, and this is again, all about leveraging the, the bad feelings about big tech that a lot of, a lot of people, especially conservatives, a lot of them would look at this in the face of it and go, Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Let's grab them by the scruff of the neck and shake them out a little bit. And maybe we'll get a little bit more equity and freedom. But 
the you know again it's the unintended consequences of these things that are really uh, setting down to hurt us. What are some of the other examples of uh, you know of what you know of what the effects of this bill could be? The unintended consequences that we may not see. Although, again, we may be in favor of it in the short term. We're not seeing the long-term uh, problems that are coming out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, the unintended consequences list is, as you might imagine, quite long. Uh, I'll focus in on two really quickly here. Uh, one, I think, is particularly timely given the conflict um, in Ukraine with Russia mm-hmm. and its cyber warfare um, interests, right? So, um as a part of the non-preferencing pieces uh, of the Klobuchar bill, it would require online marketplaces to essentially share customer data across the platform, right? This is an attempt by uh, folks on the left who say that it's not fair that companies access data that their competitors don't have access to, right? So everyone, we should level the playing field. Everybody gets the same tools to compete um, in the same way. But the reality is, is because of the enforcement mechanisms in the bill, um, companies, as you said, like Apple, are no longer empowered to police their platforms effectively, right? Um, so now all of a sudden you have a scenario where there are lots of third-party sellers, there are lots of third-party apps all over these different platforms that are either private actors who are malicious, right? They want to steal data, they want to steal payment information, et cetera, or they're fake companies being backed by rogue regimes or enemies of the United States, folks like Russia, Iran, et cetera, right? And so now you have a mandate by the federal government to say, hey, Amazon, wouldn't it be great if you shared a lot of your user data with everybody on the platform, including folks who might be rogue agents, right? And that's a huge cybersecurity and privacy concern. Right. So to push forward legislation like that without first addressing privacy reform, uh, to me, is <laughs> slightly unhinged. Right. Um, the second unintended consequence is, is what we've sort of alluded to earlier, which is content moderation, right? I, In my day-to-day job, I talk to a lot of conservatives who are frustrated with the choices that these private companies are making. And I will admit to you that oftentimes those choices do puzzle me. But I think if a conservative is supporting this bill to get at that issue, um, then they've been steered in the wrong direction. Because the reality is, is that the plain language of the, of the bill doesn't address content moderation. But what it could potentially end up doing is because the FTC and the Department of Justice are in the language of the bill allowed to decide who gets to be covered, right? They have a pretty big uh, cudgel when it comes to threatening companies into doing what they they want, right? So um, Elizabeth Warren has elucidated things like climate justice, um, social justice, racial justice, economic justice as things that companies should be doing in order to avoid um, government intervention, but it also could mean, right, that I, as a company like Facebook or Google, look to Lena Khan at the FT- FTC to decide, oh, am I going to moderate that content this way or that way? Right. Right. And I don't think any conservative should trust 
<laughs> progressives and the federal government will be friendlier to right. conservative speech than the free market. Well, no, and they've already, again, been leaning heavily on tech to uh, make some of those changes. And now you're actually literally asking the government to pick winners and losers in these battles. And that doesn't work out well, in my opinion. That doesn't work out well for anybody. Zach Lilly is our guest. Uh, he is uh, with the he's the deputy director of state and federal affairs for NetChoice at netchoice.org. We're going to continue this discussion here. We're going to move over into the national security ramifications of this as well, and we'll get more information on S uh, Senate Bill two nine nine two and what we can do to try and fight back against it. Uh, this is like the 10,000-foot view, folks. This is stuff we don't normally cover, but I thought this was important. So we'll continue with Zach Lilly in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now with Zach Lilly. A commercial break going on. Let me hit some of the chat rooms. There were some comments or questions in the chat room. One of them from uh, Donna who says, Does this bill also advantage the Chinese companies like TikTok? Does it advantage them or disadvantage them? Or does it try and level that playing field, Zach? What, what's your take on it? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and one that a lot of conservative uh, senators were asking Amy Klobuchar when she first introduced the bill, because in her initial iteration of the bill, it did not touch any um, foreign companies whatsoever, including TikTok, right? So she came under pretty heavy fire for that. She included a last-minute amendment when the bill was marked up before the committee that does cover TikTok, but that is the amendment that uh, brings in a lot of other American private companies. I will also say um, there is a the enforcement provision in the bill hits uh, companies with 15% of U.S. revenue, what, which one is just an insanely high um, enforcement mechanism. But right, right there is sort of the, your answer to that question: 15% of U.S.-based revenue. Right. So we are. As a U.S. Congress, as an FTC and DOJ, apparently only interested in those U.S.-based activities, which sort of um, – so that bias against American companies is baked into the legislation. It's pretty hard to separate out. So I would say she has politically, for political reasons, tried to address some of those foreign competitive while concerns, rope, but has failed to do so. Right, while roping in all the private companies as well, instead of just the publicly traded companies. Um, exactly. Which, uh, again, to me, is one of the biggest problems that we have here. When you've got private uh, government intervening in private business in that way, uh, again, it just kind of breaks the whole free market model uh, you know, right out the door. Um, let me see here. Uh, Kenneth says, if Apple has to allow all apps, doesn't that increase competition between app developers? Well, I mean, I would agree that in a general, you know, generic sense, more competition is always better. But when you have your own private ecosystem that you own and have developed and spent millions developing and, and you're protecting your, your consumer base, that's one of the selling points of protecting your consumer base against malicious stuff. Uh, just willy-nilly forcing them to accept anybody 
opens a, you know, first of all, it, it blasts the whole thing on the fact that they are, it's their private deal. So they're a pri- they should be able to do in, in, you know, for the most part, what they want, as long as it's, uh, you know, protecting their, uh, their, their clients. But uh, if you just open it up to willy nilly, as Zach said, I mean, that leads to some real issues, third party, malicious stuff, uh, you know, identity theft, uh, getting information. I mean, there's, there's all different kinds of things uh, that uh, can be done simply by forcing them to allow every app into their system. Yes, you said it perfectly. I mean, and just take that logic and expand it out to basically any other model of business, right? A grocery store, um, a clothing retailer, et cetera, right? Theoretically, could a particular choice be made that um, improves services? Sure. But should the government be the one making those choices on behalf of those businesses? Um, Probably not. Right. I mean, a clothing retailer, all of a sudden now, you can't just take higher quality clothing You've basically got to take anything that they ship to you, even if the stuff you know you wear it once and it falls apart. You're now forced to uh, to take that and put it in because otherwise it just wouldn't be equitable to the manufacturers of those clothing products, for example. Uh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're an REI or someplace else where you've got you know you've got a higher end clientele and a higher end you know some kind of lifetime guarantee on your stuff and everything, it'll blow your whole business model apart. Right. Yeah. And you know with businesses, you know, right? Discrimination, obviously, in a particular sense is a bad word, but it also just means making particular choices, right? So if you're shopping at REI, you're shopping because you're probably an outdoors person. You're looking for a tent or maybe some shorts for a hike. You wouldn't go to REI expecting to buy a ball gown or a tuxedo, right? right? So they make those choices based on what they know about their customers. Right. That should be the way that we do it. Exactly. Um, and that's just that's just one example in this whole scenario that again is kind of mind blowing that you're you're expecting some bureaucrat in a cubicle to make a decision for a business of which they have no knowledge, no history, no expertise, and deciding what's best for that business. I mean that that this is a slippery slope like none other, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, speaking as a former bureaucrat in a cubicle. I definitely should not have been making those choices. Yeah, exactly. Is That's where you come from, huh? A little bit of that bureaucratic world. That must have been an eye-opener for you is all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was pretty good on the issues before that, but uh, it really solidified, particularly in things like healthcare. Like, I don't know if <laughs> – I'm pretty sure the federal government shouldn't be the one in control of this. Yeah, making all those decisions for everybody. Zach Lilly is our guest. Uh, Netchoice.org is the organization that he works with. Um, Zach, is there a link or something we could send people to where they can get the information quickly here? Is there a, is there a link on Netchoice where we can get that info? Yeah, so if you uh, go to our Netchoice.org page, you'll find a tab at the top saying Our Work. Okay, I'll I'll find it here real quick. We got to jump back in. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Zach Lilly, netchoice.org, is the uh, is the organization that Zach Lilly is part of, talking with us today about S-2992, Senate Bill 2992, 
which is a progressive antitrust law. It's very bad for businesses and choice, you know, intervening in the free market. But even worse, uh, it also is bad for our national security. So, I, I and in fact, I didn't hearken back to the fact that this is this is a got some uh, stuff that's been copied from the EU, which is not great to begin with. But let's talk about the national security implications on this, uh, uh, Zach. While I uh, while I pull this uh, pull this link down from your site, so we can see what's going on, but. Let's talk about uh, what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, again, just to reiterate, because it didn't get a lot of play during the debate in the Senate, Um, much to my bafflement, I was screaming at the TV, but they didn't seem to hear me. Um, Right. This bill largely mandates the sharing of data across enormous online ecosystems, right, which means that when you upload your payment information to Amazon, when you, you know, the the cookies that they're collecting from your devices, right, which consumers can make individual choices, like, who am I going to be associated with? Who am I going to give this private information to, right? Right. I.e., the the product is worth that exchange. Now, all of a sudden, that choice is taken away, right? So these types of large caches of data potentially being shared with U.S. rivals around the world is an enormous uh, not only personal, but national security risk. Uh, so that's, you know, at the top level, the biggest thing. But it's also, right, an issue of um, economic and national um, competitiveness, right? So you've rightly mentioned a handful of times that this is a, this bill is essentially an EU model, right? And for folks who don't trouble themselves with <laughs> EU models most of their day, that is to say that in the first sort of transformative wave of the digital revolution, stretching back into the 90s to today, the European Union was woefully behind the curve, right? They, they, they didn't have the sort of leading companies that could take them into that competitive, onto that competitive edge. And so since that time, they've largely tried to regulate their way out of a hole, which, probably not shocking to anyone listening to this show, has not worked at all. Right. Right. So they've continued down that path. And for some reason, um, folks on the left in the United States, instead of recognizing the tremendous success that the United States has had in a free market economy, looks to the European model and says, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if we could bring that over here? (laughs) Right. So, I mean, the, the EU regulators were just in... DC two weeks ago for a big antitrust conference and event, right? So you had lots of um, hobnobbing with um, different different brands of bureaucrats, um, right? And so that again t- sort of tells you all that you need to know, right? So the question for your for your listeners is: Do you trust a fundamentally American model, one that's based on the free market, on liberty, on choice, um, or do you want? our American bureaucrats taking a page from their European counterparts. And so that, that, you know, that choice um, could be disastrous for American leadership because these are the areas which the United States unquestionably continues to lead in innovation. You know, what was interesting is that back in 2016, of course, all we heard was about Russian bad actors uh, influencing U.S. elections, right? I mean, that was a huge deal. 
Um, and of course, now, as you said, with the Ukrainian uh, war going on and everything else, the cybersecurity aspect of that is, uh, you know, is got a lot of people wringing their hands. Although it hasn't turned to fruition as much as we'd anticipated, it still got a lot of people worried. This bill would restrict any kind of platform, whether it was Facebook or Twitter or whoever. It would restrict their ability to remove any kind of malicious. I mean, going back to the 2016, you know, Russian meddling, it would remove their ability to to uh, stop those third party providers, the bot systems and everything else and keep the data generated on their platforms out of the hands of bad actors and foreign corporations. They wouldn't they would have to include all those people. I mean, by basically they're saying you can't choose how you're going to protect your own platform. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, just peeling back layer after layer of this rotten onion, you have Senator Klobuchar, who had to deal with a lot of that criticism from her colleagues and attempted to address them. Right. So she has now in her latest version of the bill, a cybersecurity carve out. But what is outrageous about that carve out is that it only carves out instances where the United States government is already aware of the threat. Right. So businesses could still potentially be sued by their competitors or have enforcement action brought against them by the government for attempting to protect their consumers from threats that are not yet known about, which quite famously are the ones that are most threatening. Right. It, it's not traditional that perhaps the Iranian government, in an attempt to steal your identity, would announce to you prior to stealing it that they are the Iranian government and this is what we've come to do. Right. So normally they, they try to hide their tracks. Right. right. So a, a bill that pretends to say to, pretends to care about cybersecurity while also saying that the only cyber threats you're allowed to protect against are the ones you already know about, um, to me, is insane. We're down to the last uh, two and a half minutes here, um, uh, Zach. So I want to... Uh, I want to, you know, do a, a call to action here. What can people do? What what should we be doing as citizens, as listeners? How can we help put the brakes on this? What what do we need to do? Yeah, so I think um, we're in a unique position where, while folks like me have gotten to have this conversation over and over again for about the past six months, um, Senator Klobuchar, in an attempt to pass her bill as quickly and as quietly as possible has engaged as few colleagues as possible, right? So on, on Capitol Hill, there are a handful of folks who know a lot about it, and most of the people don't know anything at all. So what your listeners can do to great effect is to reach out um, to both Senate offices in Alaska, Senator Murkowski, Senator Sullivan, and just have that conversation with them. Say, this is a bill before Congress. It may not have come up on your desk yet, right? Neither of um, the Alaska senators who supported the bill, and I don't think they've really sort of engaged publicly with it. I don't blame them, right? But just to make it clear to them that this is a loser for Alaskans, it's a loser for Americans, um, and that if Senator Klobuchar attempts to approach them to gauge their interest, uh, to tell her that they are absolutely not interested, that, you know, that's, right. that's the name of the game here. Well, less than a minute here. Give me the, uh, you know, what's the breakdown here? Where does it sit? How long before it goes before a vote of the Senate? Um, so it it passed out of committee about two months ago and has stalled since then, right? I think everyone on the Hill is pretty much aware of its problems, 
Um, the problem with DC is that things can be spoken into existence. So right now it, it may never get a vote, but we have to keep on it. Otherwise, a potentially catastrophic bill for the free market and American competitiveness will sail through without much examination. Right. So it's just about keeping on, folks. Keeping on it, keeping, you know, d- doing our due diligence and not grow weary and well-doing. Zach Lilly, netchoice.org. I posted links in the chat room to all the different uh, articles that they've got up about 2992 right now. Zach, thank you so much for coming on board. We appreciate you being part of it today. Oh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Folks, we're out of time. Hour two, dead ahead, the Michael Duke Show. Be kind to one another, love one another, live well. Hour two, dead ahead, the Michael Duke Show. All right, Zach, any final thoughts, anything I missed here that I should have hit on before I let you go? Um, the, the only thing I like to tell folks about um, to really put the sort of political scenario into perspective is that this is my personal opinion. Amy, Klo- Amy Klobuchar never stopped running for president in 2020, right? She just put her ambitions on hold. So I think she's really using this antitrust issue to propel herself into the next cycle, right? She sees it as a win with progressives and she sees it as an opportunity to sway um, disaffected white working class voters that voted for President Trump in 2016 and 2020. So um, I think Republicans should be focused on making the red wave as big as possible um, in this midterm election, not giving a presidential candidate uh, an in-kind donation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you sum it up nicely at the bottom of one of your flyers here. It says, if it's tech today, it could be ag or manufacturing tomorrow. Once this bill gets passed, it will morph into another industry because it is so broad. And that's the thing. Once they've decided to meddle in the market, they are very happy to continue that. In fact, it is almost government's, uh, it's almost their prerogative or their prime directive to expand once they've uh, once they've hit it in one side, it's almost their 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 prime directive to expand in it beyond that. Uh, it it is so. We definitely need to fight back and and get this thing killed for sure. Uh, and we appreciate all that. Uh, um, I appreciate you uh, coming on board and talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's always nice to to talk to folks uh, who really get sort of what what's happening at the core of this. So. Always happy to keep the conversation going. All right. Well, thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. Uh, netchoice.org is where you'll find him. Appreciate you coming on the program. We'll talk to you again sometime in the future. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, Zach uh, Lilly, our guest uh, on the program this morning. Uh, all right. Uh, hour two is dead ahead. We're broadcasting on Facebook and on Twitch. Uh, my ban on YouTube should be up tomorrow, I think, question mark. <laughs> we'll see. Before I get banned again um, on YouTube, uh, we'll see uh, We'll see what happens with that. Thank you guys for coming in and uh, being part of it. Um, uh, Goku is in the Twitch chat room. He says he's only my only viewer. Uh, hi there, Goku. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Um, all right. Uh, Lily wants us to contact a representative that has ignored We the People in Alaska for 12 years. <laughs> this It's true. <laughs> he's... he's She's not wrong. She's not wrong. But that doesn't mean that we should grow weary in well-doing. We should still have our voice put out there, and we should still be talking about it. There's no doubt about that. 
Wear that badge is wear that ban as a badge of honor. Okay, I will. I mean, everybody's been banned at one point or another, right? Um, let's see. Uh, we should never allow the government to control any private enterprise. They will not stop at Senate Bill two nine nine two. Says Susie. That's exactly the point. I mean, that's exactly what that what they're saying. I mean, it starts off with tech, but it could easily spread to ag, to manufacturing, to everything else. To why are all of a sudden they are choosing winners and losers all under the opine of equity? Right? Oh, we've got to be equal and fair. We've we've got to be equal and fair. Um, and of course, with government picking winners and losers, that is the bigger part of the problem. All right. Um, Price fixing and regulation. I'm sorry, I'm looking back at this original comment here. Price fixing and regulation is the only way to institute a mandated livable wage as they see it and make it work. That's the goal. Universal basic income. Um, uh, And that will make their social credit scores work because then they can control your ability to function. If you want a livable wage and put yourself in a position to get a better job, you have options to move and not work at a business. If companies can't keep people, then they will pay more to keep their business rolling out. Uh, True, but again, if it's all about your social credit score, as they're doing in China right now, that makes it, I mean, that's even scarier. Uh, It's a ridiculous notion that you were sanctioned to begin with because of your guest's opinion, said Jeannie. Well, it is what it is, Jeannie. There still is no, I mean, there was no way for me to appeal it. I mean, there was an appeal button, but when I clicked it, it was a broken link. So it's not like they really care about the appeal process. It's not like there's actually a human who is reviewing the appeal process. Trust me, it was a two-hour show. Nobody, they're not going to make some human sit through a two-hour show and figure out exactly where the algorithm said that somebody said something wrong about the election integrity or something like that. They're just not going to do that. It's, it's, it's. It's just not their model. It's not how they roll. So we'll live with it, and we'll uh, we'll put it on. I mean, I may just quit. I just may quit broadcast if I get another strike. I may just quit broadcasting on YouTube. What's the point uh, at that point? But I, you know, we're still here on Facebook. We're here on Twitch. We might add Rumble. We might add another one as well. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you can't stop the signal. You can't stop the signal. That's the bottom line. We got to keep going with what we got going on. All right, we're going to pull it back more to Alaska here in just a minute. I see a lot of people have been posting uh, in the chat room about um, the monies for the Anchorage School District. We were just talking about um, how much money they received. The Anchorage School District still has $165,791,150 left from the COVID money they received, says Susie. Uh, thank you, Susie, uh, for uh, for hitting us with that. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, with that number. Considering they got $824 million, in, uh, $824 million in deferred maintenance, that should just be like, what? What? Uh, all right. We got to uh, we got to jump into this here. We are about thirty seconds out from rejoining the radio. We're going to start back up again and uh, see what you guys have to say. Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Here we go with hour two. 
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Streaming live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, and around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. Hello and good morning. Welcome to Monday. Oh, Monday. It is, uh, it's just another beautiful day in paradise and we are getting ready here. I mean, summer is like almost here, right? I mean, I was looking out front this morning here as I let the dog out, uh, and uh, a big my lawn is mostly snow-free. I mean, on the front of the house anyway. The back of the house is still covered with snow, but looking pretty good. Driveway's dry. Roads are dry. Uh, everything's looking. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like summer is here, and boy, it couldn't have come at a better time. It just could not have come at a better time. Uh, I appreciate you joining us here in hour two. If you're just tuning in, you just missed our discussion with Zach Lilly from netchoice.org about Senate Bill 2992 that's going through Congress right now. Uh, you should reach out to Murkowski and Sullivan and tell them to oppose S-2992 in its entirety. We shouldn't have government trying to pick winners and losers in the private sector, but that's what they're uh, that's what they're working on, and uh, it's... It's frustrating to say the least. Uh, we are doing good uh, on that, though. We'll we'll just keep pushing. The, we'll just keep pumping the pump. And I know somebody said, "Well, why should we say anything to Murkowski? She's not going to listen to us anyway." You can't grow weary in well doing, my friends. You cannot grow weary in well doing. You've got to you've got to keep pumping that pump. And uh, hopefully, somebody will be. <laughs> hopefully, somebody's listening at the end, even if it's just a staffer. If there's enough people who participate in it. Even some staffer will go, okay, we could we could do something. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of Murkowski, uh, the latest numbers are out, um, and it has uh, been a significantly good fundraising season for Lisa Murkowski. She has raised in just the uh, in just the last quarter. Uh, Murkowski was able to raise uh, one point. Was it one point four? $1.4 million, I think. I'm waiting for the screen to pop up here so I can make sure that I'm saying the saying the right thing here. Uh, $1.5 million. She brought in more than $1.5 million in the three-month period ending the first quarter of 2022. Uh, she has $5.2 million in her war chest and no, da- and no, and no debt at all. Kelly Shibaka... It reported raising about $673 million last quarter, so under half of what Murkowski did. That includes the big donations that she had from uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort back in Florida. Uh, as of the 31st, she has almost a million dollars on hand with just 95000 in debt. 
So she's running as the underdog, that's for sure. Um, but you know, if you if you if you haven't uh, if you haven't given a few bucks to the candidate of your choice, well, now is the time to do it for sure. Um, yes, and mostly out of state. That one point five million from Murkowski is mostly out of state donations, including the fact that uh, where is it here? A group of political insiders, according to the ADN has raised uh, $1.3 million for a super PAC supporting Lisa Murkowski. Uh, that's on top of the $1.5 she earned herself. Alaskans for Lisa, led by Jerry Mackey, Mike Polinski, Jim Lotzfeld, and attorney Scott Kendall, filed a campaign finance report on Friday and said they had raised $1.3 million in that, uh, in that time frame. For Lisa. Um, now, of course, campaigns are legally barred from coordinating with super PACs, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't stop them from spending all that money uh, as well. There is another super PAC, this one supporting um, Shabaka. It's called Alaska First, and it only has one donation, twenty five hundred bucks from uh, from uh, from uh, her father in law. And that's it. So 1.3 million to 2,500 bucks. I mean, this is literally the David and Goliath fight uh, of our lifetime. And the fact that Lisa is being backed by all the business as usual crowd, including Mitch McConnell and everybody else, even though she's been censured by the Republican Party and they're attempting to remove her from their roles and doing all that kind of stuff is just another case here. But I mean, as I've said before, this is the... Uh, this is Murkowski's race to lose. We're going to have to get out there and and really get our fellow Alaskans on board to uh, to push all this stuff out. Um, <clears throat> Suzanne Downing over Mustery just got an article about the Alaska Republican Party taking up uh, party rules that would leave Murkowski as one of its nominees in November, trying to find a way to cut her off as a Republican. And um, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with that. Uh, three Republican districts have requested the party change its rules in Article One, Section Four, to allow the party state central committee to do a post primary endorsement of candidates and to take back some of the authority to the party that was robbed from it by ballot measure number two. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. <clears throat> I mean, it's going to come down to it in the end. Um, but we all know that Lisa, I mean, as during her race with Joe Miller, when they had to run the writing campaign, we know that uh, she is going to be supported not by probably conservative Republicans, but bore by the moderates and, of course, a huge load of Democrats out there as well. That's what got our elected. I mean, remember they remember Scott Adams? They threw him under the bus. I mean, he was the Democratic candidate for that seat. And the Democratic Party essentially just pulled the plug on him at that point and said, no, no, vote Lisa. So <clears throat> we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. Um, this whole campaign for Murkowski, uh, for Murkowski's seat in the Senate will be held uh, in the regular primary system. So it will be done with the primary in August and the general election, the ranked choice general election, being held in November. So just not to confuse it anymore, but I just want to let you know.
but that's what's going on. Uh, this is just such a hot mess around here. Um, all right. Uh, coming up here, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the Anchorage uh, election and the fact that their school bond failed. Um, a school bond, $111 million bond package that was just loaded with stuff. Now, they could have broken it out into various bonds, but they didn't. Because, I mean, and and I think that there would have been a ch- chance of some of those bonds passing uh, some of the individuals if they hadn't lumped it all together. But the uh, majority of votes are no. It's 51% to 48%, I guess, um, of the voters right now opposing the $111 million bond. The paper says, the ADN says the bond likely failed due to a mix of factors, according to people involved. They range from general economic anxiety amid record inflation to difficulties with the messaging campaign in a year when the assembly races pulled more focus, in addition to the scale of need given the district's aging facilities. Now, they they all turn around and tell us, look, we were giving you a bond every year, but look, we did you a favor. We're doing it only every two years now. And so this this is what you should do. And they were all, and they and they were all just like, you know, really planning on this to go through. In fact, they talk about how the district has uh, um, the district had already done all the legwork as if it had already passed. Um, and so they immediately had to come to a screeching halt and figure out what they need to do next. And of course, part of that is they're doing the after action review of. Well, how did this happen? How did this possibly happen? So you go back to it. They talk about how school bonds almost always pass in Anchorage municipal elections. Quite honestly, school bonds almost always pass everywhere because, I mean, why do you hate children? If you're not for it, then you must hate children, right? That we couldn't possibly, I mean, don't you want your children to go to school in safe buildings? Don't you want them to do all this I mean, they never talk about the fact that they, being the powers that be, are always the ones that are in charge of making sure and maintaining these buildings. And they don't talk about the fact that they decide on a year-to-year basis to put things off that should be there. Here's the interesting part. This is the, again, this is from that story. And I'm going to open up the phone lines here in a second if you guys want to sound off on this, because I really want to hear what you guys have to say about this. Uh, They said, uh, you know, these buildings are getting old. The average age of facilities in the district is 36 years, with about a third of them older than 50 years. Critical infrastructure like roofs, boilers, and ventilation systems are being used past their life expectancy. And they receive more wear and tear than comparable facilities in the lower 48 because of the Alaskan winters. Now, if they have a... If they, they... used past their life expectancy, which means they have a baseline for what they know um, it's supposed to, you know, what they know how long that particular system is supposed to last, whether it's a roof, a boiler, a ventilation system, whatever. And they're being used past their life expectancy, and nobody bothered to, you know, bake into the uh, system a way to pay for the replacement of that or to maintain it. Uh, they go on to talk about how they have a deferred maintenance just for the district, just the school district. 
The according to the district's estimate, assessed annually with a national firm, it currently has a deferred maintenance backlog amounting to $824 million. Three quarters of a billion dollars that should have been either accrued for or paid for outright over the last however many years that that's been accruing. And why hasn't it? Well, because they could always go back to the voters and say, we need the school bond. We need this. We need that. And people have been obliged to do that. But now they're not. Now they're starting to think about, they understand, especially after the red hot um, uh, 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 property market in Anchorage. I mean, it's insane. The uh, the folks uh, the the folks uh, who live in Anchorage all I mean have seen a jump a huge jump in their uh, assessed property values, and all of a sudden they're like, well, wait a second, I'm I'm already paying higher ta- paying this and doing that, and it's coming out of a recession and yada yada yada, and now you want a hundred and eleven million dollars more? Well, don't worry. Right, we're 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 retiring that much debt right now, so we're basically it's almost a wash. Well, that's of course if the state pays their kick on it, right? The 70, 80, the 90 percent, whatever they're going to promise on a given year. But there's no guarantee that that money will be there either, even though we've got a surplus this year and everything else. You just don't know. I mean, it's eight hundred and twenty-four million dollars almost three it's over three quarters of a billion dollars for a municipality that has a population of 200 and what 80,000 people oof da oof da I mean that's just, just insane but that's but they're scratching their head how did we how did we you know I don't understand I don't understand what you know how did this fail Oh man, it's you know the, the, at some point people are just going to be say the taxes are just too damn high. That's what they're going to say, and I think you're starting to see that now. They're understanding that a bond is a tax. I think they're finally starting to understand that. And on top of that, you look at the amount of money that they still have available to them, that they still have in their uh, in their pockets uh, for what they have available. The Anchorage School District right now currently still has $165 million available from CARES Act funding that they haven't done anything with. They got $184 million. They've only spent like $19 million of it. 90% of that money is unspent. Now, will you say, well, it has to be spent on specific things in the deal and that, okay, but um, wouldn't maybe you could find a way to spend some of this on that deferred maintenance that we're talking about? It's insane. Rob Myers in the chat room just said the state's deferred maintenance list is over $10 billion. I mean, my head just exploded. It just like right there. It just popped. I mean, what are you going to do? All right. We got more coming up. Uh, The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. I want to hear what you guys have to say on this. Phone lines are open. The Pivotel call in line. At 433-3150, Give us a call. Let's talk about this. We'll be back with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Um, Dwayne says LMAO, $824 billion for a population of 718,000 people. No, 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 Dwayne. This is not state deferred maintenance. This is just the school district in Anchorage with a population of 270, 280,000 people. $824 million for 270,000 people. And as I said, you got a state, you know, if the state's only 760,000 or however many it is, and you've got a deferred maintenance list of over $10 billion for the state, oof, oof. I mean, there's a special place in hell for the guy who thought up deferred maintenance. I'm just, I'm said it once, I'll say it a million times. That's it. Um... Don't know if you've ever very talked about this, but have you heard of Utah Goldbacks? Just recently learned about it. Bills have gold foil sealed inside to ensure the value. Very cool idea for when the U.S. dollar goes to Deutschmarks. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about this with uh, we talked a little bit about this with Kevin McCabe uh, when he was talking about his gold, his gold and silver coin bill that he was talking about here a couple of weeks ago. Um, for Pete's sakes, don't add a structure or improve your property because your taxes goes up. Good God. That's backward thinking. Um, I worked the census in 2010. We've lost a hundred thousand since 2010 says Robbie, 820,000 in 2010. Uh, okay. Accruing wrong term. Okay. Well, collecting, depositing, Squirreling away money. I don't know what you want me to use. Accruing is still a, I mean, I know it's an accounting term, but shouldn't they be like squirreling money away? You know, in Fairbanks, we forced the school district in Fairbanks to create a fund that they would deposit excess monies into that would then be used to generate it would, to generate its own income and then could be used for maintenance on its own. That's, they didn't like that idea at all, but we did it. So there you go. Um, but according to the White House, government spending reduces inflation. Uh, Bryce Edgman, public enemy number one of the PFD, is campaigning for Lisa. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, I'll vote, but I think it's pointless now with rank choice and mail-in, says Paul. Well... I mean, the mail-in, I'm not happy about it, but it's a one-time thing. I guess we'll see what's going on. I said earned. What did I say earned about? Somebody earned money? Somebody earned something? Did I misspeak? Possibly. I'm sure I probably did. I don't know what Brian says. You said earned. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I must have said earned over something that was definitely not earned. Um. Is the ballot pamphlet going to be available online? I'm sure it is going to be. I'm sure it's going to be. It normally is. The problem is that the dedicated funds clause in the Constitution makes a fund for maintenance unconstitutional. Right, but in municipalities, they can do that. 
Um, our economy is heavy on government. We're becoming northern Venezuela. Here, huge bureaucracy and struggling private sector. I again, you you know, again, the clock must have stopped twice a day. Um. I was just having a brain lock moment for my shock over the amount of money involved. So it was Dwayne talking about the 718,000 people or whatever. Uh, all right. How many names are still on the stolen Alaska voter rolls that don't belong there? 60,000? Does anyone care? I mean, of course we care, Herman. That's what Mike Shower has been trying to get squared away, trying to get this report out so we can figure out how that's going to be. Um, how that's going to be a square. Oh, that I, oh, that she earned. I should have said raised. I'm sorry. My bad, Brian. If I said earned, I meant raised. That's what I meant. Her contribution, campaign contributions. She didn't earn any of it. She, well, I don't know. Maybe she did earn some of it. Maybe, you know, you never know. Maybe she voted away. Maybe people liked, maybe she did earn it after all. I don't know. All right, we're going to jump back into this. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Call if you want to. Phone lines are open right now. Uh, Let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the program. Continuing now, hour two, open line, open forum discussions. We've been talking about the um, why the school bonds failed. Now, again, I realize that I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, phone lines are open, by the way. The Pivotal call in line at 433-3150 if you would like to sound off. And uh, give us your thoughts on this. We'd love to hear, especially if you're a new caller, we'd love to hear from you today. New caller Monday? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? I, I like a little bit of alliteration or poetry, and I, I just can't make that work with new callers. How does that new caller? Neophyte? No, no, can't use that. I don't know. Uh, Mon- Monday fun day? Uh, <laughs> see something out there. <laughs> Anyway, phone lines are open here on the Pivotel call-in line at 907-433-3150. Uh, 433-3150 if you'd like to sound off, especially if you're a new caller. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Um, all right. Uh, so we were just, again, talking about uh, the, the school bond issue in Anchorage. And, you know, like I said, we're probably preaching to the choir here. I imagine that the majority of people who are listening to this program probably voted, uh, you know, would vote against any new school bond. But I think what's surprising to a lot of these folks is that the average Alaskan all of a sudden seems to be catching on to the fact that the bond, that the word bond is synonymous with taxes. Uh, somebody in the chat room just said here a minute ago that, you know, with everything that's going on and the new increases, uh, you know, a $350,000 house or $385,000 house in Anchorage pays over $6,000 a year in taxes. Um I mean, that's and that's month after month, every month, every month. And if you don't pay it, they steal your property. Doesn't matter if you own it outright. You could only you could own it from, you know, from lawn edge to lawn edge and everything in between. You stop paying that tax every year. You'll find out exactly how much you actually own. 
But people are starting to figure out that when you say bond, that that is really synonymous with new taxes. Well, but it's only it's only $23 on a $100,000 house. You know, over the course of a year, I mean, anybody could afford an extra 60 or $80, right? Well, but it's just one more straw on the camel's back. We're already struggling. You know, and then we saw the increase in the, in, in the, uh, in the, in the house valuation because of the hot housing market and everything else on top of it. That's why people are reticent to do it. And the price tag, $111 million? Oh, 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 oh. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that, that's, it, again, to me, this just shows the mismanagement by the school district, the boroughs, the munis, Everybody's involved. I mean, we've got municipalities that have got, you know, a quarter to three quarters of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance. We might have an issue. You know what I mean? All right, let's go over to the phones and see what you guys have to say. Uh, we'll start off with this call over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Randy, what's on your mind? I have reported on your show uh, some months ago <clears throat> that a restaurant called Lavelle's Bistro um, in Fairbanks here, uh, prohibited people that are not vaccinated with the COVID vaccine from coming in to their uh, restaurant. Yep. And uh, I, it was reported about that in the newspaper and everything, too. And I had always kind of wanted to go by and take a look and see if they had a big sign on the door with a big, you know, you know no, no shirt, no shoes, no vaccine, no service, or whatever they had. You know, I didn't know. But anyway, I was out and about on my bicycle on Friday, and I swung in there. And uh, I didn't see any sign on the door, and I went in and was pretty soon greeted by a nice young uh, lady, server lady. And I asked her about the vaccine policy there, and she said they didn't have that anymore. And I said, I said oh, when did you stop having that uh, prohibition against unvaccinated people? And she said, uh, last week. And, and then I kind of whispered to her, and, sa- and I said, I'm not vaccinated and then she said, uh, oh, you're fine. That's good. You know, you're, you're welcome here. So anyway, I said, oh, I'll keep that in mind. I said I wasn't planning to eat right at this moment or anything, but I just wanted to ask about that. And so I, I left and rode off on my bicycle. But I thought that was nice. And I didn't ask her anything about why the company changed its policy or anything, but apparently they did change their policy. So I thought I'd report that to you in case some unvaccinated person did want to eat there. All right. Well, thank you, Randy. I thank you for the... Heads up, I figured that, uh, you know, eventually they would have to drop that because of, uh, you know, everything that's been going on in the world. And we've seen, of course, how many breakthrough cases have come through vaccinated folks as well. Somebody eventually had to acknowledge that, uh, you know, it's not the end-all, be-all that everybody anticipated that it would be. Thank you for your call, though, Randy. Let's go over here, take some more calls. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Mark calling from Fairbanks. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Good, Mark. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I just wanted to express some concern. You know, uh, the state's got these ads to roll up your sleeve, Fairbanks, and uh, we have our health workers all involved in really uh, a medical uh, uh murder assassination effort on Alaskans. And it won't become clear for a couple of years uh, when these sicknesses start to set in. And I'm concerned that uh, we're allowing the attack on Alaskans uh, 
without verification. This, uh, again, is not a vaccine. Uh, two primary things it does is attack your white blood cells, allowing the bugs inside and outside to infect you, infect you eventually. And then secondly, with uh, nanobots that rearrange your DNA. There's no nano. Uh, there's no nano. Just, there's no nanobots in this, Mark. I mean, I, yes, it does have a messenger RNA uh, component of it, which does create the spike proteins. They are, are nanobots, but no, Mike. Don't no, sit there and lie to fellow. Okay, yeah, Mark, don't yell at me. First of all, because it's too early to yell. I, you're, you're you're still yelling, Mark. I'm not gonna. You can't. Don't yell at me. The nanobot. <laughs> Okay, let me just say this. There are no nanobots in the therapeutic shot, okay, the vaccine, whatever you want to call it. And I don't see anybody holding a gun to anybody's head. I certainly have not taken the shot, and I know plenty of people who have it. I also know plenty of people who have. So, I mean, it is what it is. Everybody had to make their own choice. I made mine. You make yours. But there's there's no there's no nanobots, right? I mean, come on, seriously. Uh, not that nanotechnology wouldn't be cool, don't get me wrong, because you could do a lot of things with it, good and bad, but there are no nanobots in the vaccine. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, all right, uh, 433-3150, 433-3150, if you'd like to sound off this morning, uh, I guess, and not talk about nanobots, now would be the time to do it, um, and we've got to... Uh, We've we gotta we gotta throw all that together. I'd love to talk about the uh, I'd love to talk about the uh, school district and some of the school stuff. If you'd like to discuss that, I'm just throwing that out there just in case you want to talk about that instead. Um, <clears throat> how would we recognize nano nanobots? Um, well, I mean they're you know, <sighs> oh man, I just. You know, here's the thing. This is just another one of those things where, look, I don't necessarily agree. I don't. I didn't take the shot. I didn't want the shot. I definitely don't agree that we should be mandated to take the shot. But at the same time, we shouldn't spread misinformation about what's going on with the shot, right? That, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, you you can't you don't do your cause any good when you just throw things out there. Um, you know, about things that have no basis in fact, okay? I have my concerns about the MNRA, MNRA factors already in it, the potentials for the long-term side effects, and everything else. Everything you've seen on the VERS website, right, for the, the, the adverse reaction website from the CDC. And there's a lot of them, whether it's, uh, you know, enlarged heart and, you know, mito, what a mitocardiopathy, uh, and everything else that's going on, you know, the fact that some people just literally drop dead after taking it, um, which raises some concerns, obviously, and everything else. But, I mean, at least with those things, you can go back and point to the numbers and say, this is one of the reasons why I'm concerned. But to just randomly throw out stuff in there like it's got, you know, no nanites, no nanites, no nanobots. Uh, that's not how it works. Somebody said, well, there's graphene in it. Okay, well, maybe there's graphene in it, but nanobots is, is a – nanotechnology is a whole nother kettle of fish. Uh, uh, just right there. You know, it's that's some bleeding-edge stuff right there. 
And um, it's <clears throat> my opinion is that it has nothing to do with what's going on with the shot. There you go. That's that's my opinion. And I just think, again, you're not doing yourselves any favors by spouting off with some random internet theory that this is what it's all about. I mean, stand against it. Don't get me wrong. Stand against it. I, I Again, I do, not, I do not stand for any kind of mandate. And I personally and none of my family members have gotten the shot. But again, I know plenty of people that have as well. But, the, you know, the misinformation just doesn't help you. Uh, it just it doesn't. Uh, nanotechnology is different than nanobots. Somebody in the thing said before the jab was released, they said there was nanotechnology in it. Nanotechnology is different than nanobots. I just I want to point that out. I mean, maybe it's a you know maybe to you it's semantics, but there is a there is a major difference between the two. But again, I just that's me. All right, let's go over to the phones here and see what else, what other kind of hell we can raise this morning. Uh, we'll go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? It's a diabolical. Okay, Mark, 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 Mark. I'm going to kill your call now, and you're done for the day, okay? Don't call back today. You can call back tomorrow, but don't call back today. There you go. All right. Um, I'm going to take a break. I just can't do anything else at this point. I'm just going to take a break because, you know, man, we don't need any more of that kind of stuff. All right, we're out of time. The Michael Dick Show, Common Sense, Liberty Bay. But is this like Art Bell or whatever it is, George Norrie? Back with more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Your mental suppository. I mean, I love the fact that somebody is just, you know, their idea of their idea of 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 of, uh, debating is just to start screaming that that always proves the point. As soon as, you know, when the debate happens and you start screaming, especially when the other guy has control of the volume, that just uh, it's just one of those things, you know. I'm going to stick up for Mark, says Robbie. Well, stick up for him all you want. I mean, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. But if we can't have a rational discussion on it, it uh, it kind of just slows the it kind of just slows everything down. You know what I mean? It just it just kind of slows everything down. Um. All right. What else we got here? Um. Uh, you admit flat out that you didn't pay attention to everything. You're missing a big chunk of the big picture. Okay. Uh, Mike, who says it's misinformation? You can't no- say that. You don't know. Well, based on the research that I did, I can assume that I know. I mean, just because you do more research and if the research is false, that still doesn't make it good research, right? I've seen all kinds of crazy assertions about this. Do I? Am I going to put that in my body? No. But as it doesn't do any good to start grabbing, you know, 
uh, I was abducted headlines kind of stuff and and saying that that's what it's all about. It just doesn't help the argument. That's that's uh, that's the thing. Can we talk about ivermectin? Oh yeah, you had Brian just had to poke the bear there. Now Harold's going to take that up and talk about horse dewormer and everything else. Um, uh, let's see. How would we recognize nanobots under an electron microscope? You'd recognize you'd recognize nanobots. Um, the people in my family that received the jab also received COVID. The unjab is just fine, said Brian. Exactly. I mean that. That's what kills me when you look at the number of breakthrough cases and how many of them, I mean, you know, these whole, you know, it was that big event in Washington that they just had where like half, like half the people or more came down with it. They're all, I'm sure, uh, vaccinated and everything else because they're the ones telling us to get the vaccine and they all got sick. Again, I think the only thing you're really going to do to protect yourself, the best protection is the natural immunity and the best thing you can do is to be as healthy as you can be and be cautious and, and, and you know, don't, don't – but I'm not going to be – yeah, I just don't know. I don't – why are we talking about this? I don't even care. Uh, what the heck is a nanobot? A nanobot is a molecular – not, well, semi-sub – what no, is it – what's – what's I don't want to be sub-molecular. I want to be over-macular-molecular. Anyway, it's a small cell-sized robot. Essentially, a nanobot is a bot that is nano, which is tiny, tiny, and they use it and they're trying, they're developing it right now. They're doing some interesting research on them, uh, trying to figure out if they can repair cellular damage and do the work on a cell by cell basis. The best thing about nanobots theoretically is that you could feed nanobots raw material um, and that they could self-replicate. So if you had a problem in your body that they could inject you with a small portion of nanobots and some raw materials, they would make, uh, you know, they would duplicate themselves and then go attack a tumor or rebuild something in your body that you would need, you know, whether it's stitching organs back together or fixing cellular damage from radiation poisoning or anything else like that. Um, but it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, theoretically, it's a fantastic technology, but they haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, they haven't gotten to that. Now, nanotechnology is a thing, but nanobots is a whole different critter when it comes to that. So, anyway, that's where you go. So, Mark thinks that they have little robots running around inside them. That's what he's saying. When he said nanobots, that's what he – I mean, can only assume that's what he means. Yeah, d- inner space with Dennis Quay. There you go, Robbie. Thank you for – that That makes it easy. Inner space. Um, sounds pretty safe. Self-replicating sounds like bureaucrats. Yeah, pretty much. Of course, that's always the danger with nanobots is that what if they fault out of their programming and they just keep replicating and replicating and replicating and replicating and replicating. That's the uh, science fiction nightmare version of that kind of stuff. Um, all right. Uh, Herman, you know, every time you dump a book in the chat room, I, I can't read it all. Um, break it down into bite-sized chunks, would you? Um, I, I, I have not gotten the vaccine, but I'm pro-vaccine. I believe that everybody should just have a choice. If you want to get it, get it. If you don't want to get it, don't get it. Don't make anybody, don't force anybody to get it. I'm not saying if you got the shot. I mean, there's people in this chat room who've gotten the shot. I'm not against them. They, I, more power to them. Go. 
line up, get it done, roll your sleeve up, get a second jab, a third jab, an eighth jab, whatever it is. That's totally on you. I'm not against it. Just don't make me if I don't want to. That's called freedom of choice. And that's what this whole thing should be about. How did we get on the vaccine thing? This is weird. All right, uh, let's get back to it. Here we go. Common Sense Radio. know how we got onto this this morning i mean i just wanted to talk about education spending that's what i wanted to talk about i just wanted to talk about education spending and how you know we we just don't seem to be able to control what we're doing oh where is that picture i uh somebody sent me a post uh maybe we'll have to do this um maybe we'll have to uh, pull that I don't know where the post is now. I'll have to go back and look at it. It was basically a snapshot of American education in one single graph. And it was one of the most disturbing graphs that I've ever seen. Looking, you know, education and basically the exponential spending on education and uh, how the the staffing and the, and the spend on educational spending continued just almost like hockey stick up over 50 years. And yet the scholastic achievement levels remain down at the bottom, flat. Like we continue pouring ever-increasing amounts of money into education, and we keep having crappy results. I mean, at some point, somebody has to say, you know, maybe that thing doesn't work. Maybe the, you know, maybe the thing doesn't, maybe the thing doesn't work. Maybe we should rethink, you know, maybe we should go get a new system. But see, that's heresy in today's age. You know, ever since Horace Mann created the public school system and did the thing, and we we should just follow it along, even if it's not working, we should, it doesn't matter, heresy, you can't say, and yet we have all these technologies, all these technologies that we have used uh, over the last two or three years and expanded and expounded upon, where we have the ability to change how education is delivered. That it doesn't necessarily need to be in a brick-and-mortar classroom. That it could be a combination or a hybrid design of those kind of things. Where the funding for the child could follow the student instead of remaining at a single school and having parents have to double dip. I mean, there's so many different options. But we, how dare we even suggest that something is wrong? Even though, again, I'm going to have to pull this. I, I, I post, I pulled it up. It's on, it's... One of my desktops has got it up on the window right now because I was like, I want to talk about this on Monday. And then I've completely forgotten until just now that I actually read the article. It was a fascinating article. It was from FEE. That's what it is, the Free Enterprise Institute. Um, and it was, it was just, again, in a single snapshot, you could see exactly what's wrong with the education system. Essentially, it's become a jobs program. It has become a program where the special interests take the money and run. And, of course, we saw a lot of that during the COVID lockdowns where many, many different districts across the country, primarily in a lot of the blue states, 
were talking about, not about the educational of the children, but they wanted to talk about things like social justice and all these other things before they would come back to work. They were essentially holding the children hostage, which is just astonishing to me. Brian in the chat room says, it doesn't work. Of course it works as designed, educated enough to do a job, not educated enough to ask questions of their betters. And you know what? There's a there's a point to that. This is based on the Prussian school model, which, again, was supposed to make subjects, not citizens, right? So we see a lot of that. It's it's astonishing. All right. Um, anyway, that's what I was going to talk about today until we got down to the weeds on this whole thing on the other the nanobot thing. Uh, let's go over here to the phones and see what you have to say. 433-3150. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, Michael, Melissa, and Sarah Banks. Hello, Melissa. I wasn't going to call in today, but, you know, this, you know, everybody knows, this whole COVID thing has woken up a lot of people to homeschooling. Right. And I have nine kids. I homeschool them. Some of them have graduated and become adults. And they actually survived homeschooling. So Amazing, huh? Good news. But I feel, yeah, I feel like, um, as homeschoolers, they have more opportunities, especially with all the budget cutbacks. And, you know, when the schools, the public schools cut a budget, they cut anything that's interesting to the child out of the curriculum. Sure, sure. And they add in things like new furniture, <laughs> more administration. Right. Um, my older kids were in the public school system for a while, and my two oldest graduated from a really great high school, actually, in Fairbanks. Um, but it didn't work for others in my household, so I said, you know, forget it. We'll just go back to homeschooling for everybody else. Right. Um, I've got six, six black belts. Um, I've got one Eagle Scout. I've got all of my kids have played piano except the baby. Um, they have the ability to go and do things a day, take classes like horse riding lessons, things that are interesting to them. And then these, these activities give them something to write about, something right. to read about, right. something to be curious about, and maybe pursue a career in. Right. You know, my 14-year-old daughter works for a bakery. Now, for all of those who are freaking out right now about a 14-year-old having a job, she doesn't work 40 hours a week. Right. She works maybe 10 hours a week. Right. And... Um, she doesn't handle the money. She's a baker. Um, my 17-year-old son is a barista. He also works for a painter, but he wants to be a state trooper here in Alaska. And so as a high school student, next year he's going to start taking UAF courses that involve his interest in being a trooper, like drone photography, uh, criminal justice. Right. And he'll be a high school student. You know, it's... How many kids in the public school system can say, hey, I have an interest. It may not be my career, but it's an interest. Right. And well, I want to go pursue that as a student. That's the they thing. They don't that's, because they have to. Well, that's the thing. I yeah. mean, we've, we've lost the ability to teach the kids the love of learning, right? It's not what you're interested in. It's what yeah. we say you're going to be interested in. And you wonder why these kids wander off in the pucker brush. 
You know, what you're talking about in homeschools is called unit study, where the kids find a, they find something that they're interested in, and then they find all the things, you know, one kid's interested in octopus. Okay, so now you find out about, you, you know, you, you build studies up around the mathematics of that, the biology of that, the sciences of that, you know, or stories of octopus. Yep. You know, you, you, everything can be wrapped up around one specific thing, and because they love that, they want to learn everything that they can about it. And it, it it's a brilliant way to study. And have a marine biologist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's it's a brilliant way for kids to learn because, again, it gives them the opportunity to explore what they are interested in. But you you can't do that in a classroom with thirty five kids, right? You know, the the the, the, the teacher no. can't wander around and do that kind of stuff. And that's why I'm starting to say, look, I mean, well, I'm not starting to say. I've been saying this for years. The system is fundamentally flawed and fundamentally broken. And what we need, and again, the the silver lining of COVID is that many people have discovered that homeschooling their kids is not that difficult. Nope. Yep, my twelve year old son is gonna. He's he's actually finished his chemistry uh, study that he did the second semester of the year. He has a lab for three days at the end of this week. But he's also uh, tomorrow will be starting a small engine class where he's gonna be tearing down, say, a snowblower and rebuilding it and figuring out why it doesn't work and then right. making it work. He's 12. Right. He's, he wants a job. And I told there are a lot of people that don't know how to fix their own lawnmower and snowblower, and if you go to a small engine shop, they're backed up for months. Right. You could have a job in, in our garage. Yeah. You know, maybe not at 12, but he could learn the skills now, and at 13 or 14, he could start out at the neighbor's house. Sure. Who knows? And yeah, and who knows what that could lead to beyond that? Or it's always a skill you can fall back on. And they're, and look, their 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 uh, their goals and their desires and their interests change. You know, that's 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 part of it as well. They do change, and so as they change, the flexibility that homeschool gives you means that you can change that that study to something different. I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. It is, and all of this stuff costs money. But right. I don't have to pay administration fees because I, as a teacher, don't get paid because my interest is fully invested and vested in my children. Right. No, I, I like it. I mean, I like it a lot. And I, and I hope that more people will take a look at that. And, and even people that say, well, I couldn't possibly homeschool my kids. I think a lot of people got that education, like I said, during COVID, where they see that it wasn't as difficult as they anticipated. And even parents who are both working can find times to work that around and make it so that their kids can be schooled at home or part of a pandemic pod or part of a you know charter system or something else. And we, we need to change the funding in this state so that it follows the kids. That's what needs to happen. That will make the yep. biggest change that we could possibly want. Absolutely. If your interest is actually in the children, you're going to stop throwing money at them and start throwing time at them and start asking them questions and start observing what their interests are. You know, how many five-year-olds want to know about gender? None of mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And I know that takes us down a, a wormhole, but um, it's, if it's really about the kids, let's make it about the kids and stop pouring money into schools that look like museums. The kids don't care. Right. <laughs> they, they don't. They really don't. Uh, all right. Well, I think you've, uh, I think you've nailed the, I think you've nailed it for me today, Melissa. Thank you for, uh, 
uh, for coming on board and sharing with us. I appreciate that. Sure. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, that brings us, well, that brings us to the end of the show. That uh, pretty much sums it up. That was a good call to finish with, I think. I think that shows exactly what we could all be looking forward to if we were just willing to admit that something is fundamentally broken in education. And I know everybody's screaming at their, not everybody, but I know a bunch of people are, you're just, I hate the children. We couldn't all possibly do. Yeah, okay. All right. Except we have, except we've got, you know, examples, example after example. That was just one. It can be done. Things can be changed. We don't have to do it the way we've always done it. Because if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And it ain't been great, my friends. All right, out of time. Tomorrow, uh, Chris Story, Brad Keithley, you and me. It's all dead ahead. That's coming up tomorrow. Live well, love one another, and be kind. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Nanobots! Nanobots! Um, um, okay. They're only, they're telling me what to say. The nanobots are telling me what to say. I gotta go, folks. I appreciate you coming on board. We will see you tomorrow. For another two hours of common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 